Have you ever felt that some Bible studies are too much? You know, they're too long, they're too deep, they're too serious, they're too theological, and yeah, maybe they're too boring. <laughs> well, we're going to try to remedy that with this podcast, the Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. We're going to take a close look at Scripture. We're going to look at the cellular base of what God was saying through His Word. But we're not going to make it too much of anything. We're going to try to make it just right for everything. In this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study, we're going to take a look at uh, Mary Magdalene at the empty tomb on Resurrection Morning and her interaction with Jesus when she finally recognized who the man was that was standing there before her. She thought it was the gardener at first. When she realized it wasn't the gardener, she called him a special name. She called him Rabboni. Why did she use that term specifically. What was it about Rabboni that was special to her and between she and Jesus? And then she reaches out to touch him, but Jesus says, don't touch me yet. And the question is, did she touch him? Did she not touch him? And if she did, how did she touch him? And why was that such an important thing anyway at that moment in time? Listen to this episode and maybe we'll answer those questions. Let's go ahead and launch in here. You know where we are, chapter 20 of John. And we're in the very last few verses of John's account of Mary at the tomb. And uh, so I'm just going to read real quickly uh, to set the stage, and then we'll launch in. We're going to start at uh, start talking at the after verse 16. Go through verse 16. We're going to stop and talk a little bit. So, starting in verse 10. Then the disciples went back to their homes. That's John and Peter. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept. She bent over to look into the tomb and saw the two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. So that's where we stopped last week, and uh, so picking up again this week. And the thing that we uh, that I wanted to start off with today is this idea of Rabboni. Uh, she, she, when she really says her name, and she recognizes now 
that this is Jesus. She turns toward him and she calls him Rabboni, which they define that for us here, uh, which, which means teacher, it says in the, in the passage. So my question to you was, are you at all surprised by the fact that when Mary sees the resurrected Lord, the miracle that she didn't think could possibly happen, and she realizes, I mean, she has to be at this point just a, a basket of emotion, don't you think? And uh, and just the, here is she realizes it's true that Jesus is alive. He is risen. He is resurrected. She thought it was impossible. She couldn't. She couldn't believe it. She wasn't going to believe it. And now here he is, and she's just flooded with these emotions. And she calls him teacher, Rabboni, meaning teacher. Now, of all the things that she could have called Jesus at that moment, of all, of all the, I mean, if she wasn't going to call him Jesus, okay, if she's going to call him something, would you have thought teacher would have been what she would have gone with? I mean, if that had been you, let's put you in her position. If you had been Mary at that point and you had, this you were experiencing this. Is that the word that is that the is that what you would have called Jesus at that point, or would you have called him something else? Do you think? It entirely depends on what she was used to calling him. Yeah, if that's what she was used to calling him, and then she suddenly recognized him. She used the name. She would that's possible. We don't know uh, what her pet name for Jesus was. Maybe that was the name that she. Maybe she. Maybe that is the, the way she addressed him through the years that she was with them. Maybe she did call him teacher. That's a that's a possibility. Why does she use their own name? Is that her name? Uh, I, I don't know. Rabboni, uh, it, it actually, it says there that it means teacher, which it does. But the Hebrew equivalent would have been rabbi. But rabbi means teacher only. Rabboni actually means more than just teacher. It actually has a a, a double meaning. Uh, teacher is one of the meanings, but it also means master. Mm-hmm. So she could have been calling him master, or she could have been calling him teacher, or I think maybe to answer your question, the reason she used Rabboni instead of rabbi is because it encapsulated for her the the feeling that he was more than just a teacher, that he was her master, he was her teacher, but also her master. So that was the word that kind of encapsulated a broader meaning of that of that word, of that description. And I mean, for me, I can see, I mean, I would think if it were me, I would be more likely to call him master than teacher, probably. Or, I don't know, Lord? Or, I don't know, um, Healer, brother, savior. Huh? Well, yeah, maybe just call him by his name. But and maybe that gets back to what Stan is saying. Maybe she, maybe she doesn't call him Jesus here because she's used to calling him teacher when she sees him. So you know, at that point, so I mean, I, I, I like what, I like where you're going with it, Stan. I think if this was. If this was the way she referred to him, 
but we don't know, but that's that's a very good possibility that this was her name that she used for him. Or, you know, we all have people in our lives probably who we use as, we call them by their nickname rather than by their actual name, right? And so maybe that was maybe that was the way that Mary's used to doing it. Dennis? That's okay, go. It's still my thunder. I'm all for it. What if she had so much attached to this idea? Because her body is mighty. And I think there's a lot of emotion wrapped up in that thought that it's my teacher. And uh, it's it's more than just a, an intellectual exercise. The, the academia is that. It's the one who saved me out of my demonic oppression. Mm-hmm. It's the one who was taught me for every step of the way. And I lost him. Now I found him. And he's my teacher. So that's my thought. No, I love that. I'll tell you one thing it does is for, I mean, I think most of us, if not all of us, have probably had a special teacher in our lives uh, somewhere along the line. And I think for those of you who are teachers or us people who are teachers, it just goes to show that that is a special, uh, you know, responsibility that you have and influence that you have on people because, uh, I mean, like for look, Mary's a good example. So if she was calling him master, uh, you know, okay, it's the master who who did the miracles. Okay, the master did them. Not the teacher didn't do the miracles. The master did the miracles. Uh, but the miracles are good for those people who receive the miracles. But those miracles didn't really change the. I mean, it it showed who Jesus was and so forth. But as far as a miracle is concerned, it, it's it's life changing for the blind person who now sees. It's life changing for the lame person who now walks. But for the rest of us, it doesn't really change our lives so much necessarily. It gives us hope. Yeah, it gives us hope. But yeah, right. But it but but that that miracle in and of itself doesn't change our lives per se. Now, on the other hand, Mary Magdalene did receive a miracle that Jesus cast seven demons out of her. She was demon-possessed, and that certainly changed her life, didn't it? So Master, who does the miracles, who did the miracle for her, changed her life for sure. Uh, But I don't think that everyone in the Bible who got a miracle became a believer. I think some of them did, maybe most of them did, but I don't know that all of them did. Uh, As an example, you know, when Jesus healed the ten lepers, right? And it says, go to the priests and present yourselves. Well, only one of them came back to thank him. Now, does that mean the other nine, uh, and I think we can say that one came back to thank him and, and became a believer. Did the other nine not become believers? Or did they become believers? We don't know. But I think not everyone who received a miracle from Jesus necessarily became a believer. Uh, but obviously, Mary did. So that changed her life. But I think it was more than just that. In other words, just the miracle of having the seven demons taken out of her life changed her life, but I don't know that that in and of itself changed her heart. Chuck? Maybe she was almost making a confession. 
as far as teacher, she would been been there and heard all this teaching. Right. Stuff, and she should have heard the ones about I'm gonna be coming back. Yeah. <laughs> and she didn't. Right. Maybe she was sort of just saying, Oh, teacher. <laughs> I'm so sorry I didn't listen to her. That could be it. Yeah, Joe. Could it be that she was come to the realization that he was the Messiah? I mean, with everything that happened in, a, in his teachings and everything, everything came through about the, the Son of God, and she's heard a lot of that stuff. And really, a lot of people didn't accept Jesus as the Messiah at the time. So she, you know, with what she's been through and taught, she's maybe recognizing that. Well, certainly at the moment that she sees him alive, everything changes for her and what she believes. Because she, she, she believed with all of her heart that he was dead, and now he's alive. So everything now, I'm sure at that moment, changed in everything that she believed in who he was. Um, but I think, you know, teacher, as the te it was Jesus as the teacher who changed her heart. So Jesus as master changed her life by healing her, but Jesus as teacher changed her heart. It's the teaching that changes our hearts uh, that at least brings us to, to the point to where we are faced with our sin and our failure and our need for a Savior and that Jesus is that Savior. So God puts that in our hearts, but, you know, uh, most of us come to a faith in Jesus as Savior through someone someone telling us. It can be a preacher, it can be a teacher, it can be a friend. Uh, for me, it was Billy Graham on TV. But uh, someone taught us about Jesus. Someone taught us about who he was and, and what he is and what he can do for us. So in whatever form that person was in that moment, to bring us to a change of heart, change of life, to salvation and eternal life, someone taught us about Christ. And so I think that teacher kind of, when you think about it that way, it is kind of an appropriate thing to call him because it's the master who changes our lives, but it's the teacher who changes our hearts. And we need a master to save us. We need a master to bring miracles into our lives. We, need a, we, we worship the master, but it's the teacher who keeps us in a relationship and grows our relationship and, and begins the relationship through, uh, through telling us about, about Christ. And, and he certainly was teaching her uh, all through those years and, and changed not only her life, but also her heart. And I think also, you know, um, if you had the choice between teacher and master or some of these other terms we were talking about, I think teacher is a little bit more intimate. It's a little bit more of a, you know, master kind of is that, you know, he's so high and he's exalted and he's master and he's king and all those things. And he is, but teacher is more of a interpersonal kind of relationship, kind of indicates more of that. It's more of an intimate kind of relationship and, and intimates that. So, Okay. So let's go on. So um, it says, uh, where are we? Okay, she okay. Uh, Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. 
Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. So we're not going to go into all of that. We spent one whole Sunday school class about going into all of that, so I'm not going to go back in and rehash it. But if you didn't hear that and you want to hear it, I can send you the recording of that Sunday that we talked about it. But I did want to just take a minute to talk about, because I think it's kind of interesting, that Jesus says, do not hold on to me. Or do you have some other translation that says something? Do not touch me, maybe. Some people have that maybe in your translation. So do not hold on to me. So I don't know what kind of, uh, when, you, when you envision that, what do, what do you have in your imagination? What, what was Mary doing that Jesus said, do not hold on to me or do not touch me? Clinging, okay. I can see her go, like seeing, realizing it's him, you know, and she's going to go hug him, and he's like, whoa, whoa, don't touch. Stan? She goes for his feet. I think she's trying to, uh, he's saying to her, um, in so many words, um, I, you must now relate to me totally differently. You can't relate to me physically anymore. Um, I, I haven't gone to my father yet, and I haven't reached where I'm supposed to be. And you're still seeing my body now, but, but you can't claim my body. You can't, you can't, my body is not, my, my earthly body or, or any kind of body is not who I am. Hmm. That's, that kind of spiritualizes it. That's that's more than, than I was thinking about, but that's 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 interesting. You know, that could be. Something to be said for that, I think. Um, There's definitely a transition. Mm-hmm. I agree with Stan. Mm-hmm. Well, the word, uh, the word in the original Greek there, and and uh, Cheryl, your translation comes the closest uh, to cling to. Uh, the idea is, uh, I looked it up in my Greek dictionary, and the word means various things to attach oneself to, to fasten oneself to, to adhere to, to cling to, even to assail someone. So uh, it could be maybe something as simple as uh, Jesus saying to Mary, Mary, get a grip. (laughs) Get a grip, Mary. Uh, Because she, uh, it wasn't just a soft touch. It wasn't just a polite hug. Uh, you know how sometimes you, you have a polite hug? Oh, you know, you just kind of hug somebody. Uh, so, but, but, you know, that's not, that's not a good hug, is it? You want a good hug sometimes. Well, let me, let me, let me uh, read a definition from one of my, one of my dictionaries. And I thought, this, this is good. So the word that's used there in the Greek, here's the definition refers to handling of an object, or in this case, a person. Refers to handling a person as to exert a modifying influence on it. A modifying influence. What does that mean, modifying influence? It means it changes something, right? Uh, Or a modifying influence upon it, or the person, or upon oneself. Or uh, touching for the purpose of manipulating. It implies a certain degree of involvement with the object, Jesus, on the part of the subject, Mary. 
It's more than mere contact or touch, but an engagement, a handling, or use in which some kind of influence or of effect is created between the people coming into contact. So she is hugging him, and she is creating some kind of a modifying influence on him. Okay? So this wasn't just a polite hug. This was like a bear hug. This was like a... Like, if you have uh, been away from kids or brother or mother or father or whatever for an extended period of time, and then you come together, and you're so excited to see them, you know, you, you don't just, you hug and you, right? Don't you, like, move around and, and maybe even pick them up? And, I mean, was, was Mary trying to pick up Jesus? I don't know. But this was a bear hug. This was a hug. She was clinging to him. She was hugging him. She was hugging in such a way that she was a modifying influence. She was moving him or moving herself. This was all in hug. And Jesus says, get a grip, Mary. Hold on just a minute. <laughs> you can't do that yet. Uh, maybe later, but not now kind of thing. I don't know. But it's. But, but let me just wait to finish this real thought, Green. Um, I think Mary was the Peter of the women. You know what I mean? I mean, Peter was what? He was gregarious. He was a man of action. He was loud. And I think Mary Magdalene was the Peter of the women. I think she was loud and gregarious. We have her when she was crying at the tomb. It was a loud wail. It was it was a loud voice. Everyone could hear. And now she goes to hug Jesus. This isn't a polite hug. This was a big, and, and she didn't hesitate, right? She went right for the hug. And she's a, she's a woman of action. She's loud. She's gregarious. She's the Peter of the women. That's, that's what I think. Uh, crazy. No, I, I, I interpretation of that is, is that she was holding it so tight that she did not want him to go. She wanted him. She didn't want to go with him. Or she wanted him to stay. And that's why I said, you know, hold on to me. I have not yet transcended. I have to go. I have to. Uh, um, I think there's uh, uh, emotions like that in there uh, that you can't come because we have not had Well, that kind of hug is also, if you're holding someone so they won't go, that's also that same kind of clinging tight bear hug, you know. Either either welcoming him because he's alive again or holding him so I don't go. The, the idea of the kind of hug it is, it, it is appropriate for either one of those, however you want to see that. But it, True. You know, have the same feelings that she was experiencing Without being able to physically. True, yeah. I think it's kind of back to what Stan was saying, that same kind of idea, yeah, that our roles have changed now. You know, it's no longer a physical relationship we have, but now it's going to be something different than what we've, before we've been able to hug, we've been able to have the physical contact with each other, however that was, uh, hugging or talking or just, you know, patting on the back or whatever it was. But now if this is transit, we're going to have a different kind of relationship from now on. That kind of thing is possible. Uh, she was hugging when he was walking on the earth. 
doubt seriously that they had a relationship where she went right up of him when he was visiting. But now that he has passed away, that he's gone, she needs to hold on to him because she doesn't want to believe. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I think the Michaels hugged each other. I think they hugged Jesus and Jesus hugged them. I think, you know, that there was nothing wrong with that. Well, may, maybe not in public. Maybe not in public. Uh, maybe not at all. I'm, but I'm saying, you know, this inner group had a special relationship with each other that, um, you know, uh, I don't know that, you know, if, there had, if they hadn't hugged in the past, that she would have gone for the hug right then and there. That was her first reaction. So uh, to me, you know, it's possible this is something that, you know, in their private moments every now and then, hey, welcome back from being out on the road getting food or whatever. Welcome back by hugging them or whatever. I don't, I don't think that necessarily was something that never happened per se. Dennis? Well, the, I have a question about the prohibition. Uh, the prohibition was because I have not yet gone to the Father. Right. right? Now, I don't want to know what he's talking about. I mean, I know what that means. Right, right. But why, why was that the prohibition? Because he can't stay. He's telling her, I cannot stay. I have to go to the Father. I haven't gone to the Father. Okay, I understand that. I don't know. Just having trouble with understanding what that means. Yeah, that was that was the reason he gave. He had not yet gone to the Father to present himself as the sacrifice for the sins of the world to take that to G, to God in heaven. And for whatever reason, that was had to be done before he could come and have the physical contact with people. Why exactly it is, I'm not sure, but that was that was part of it. But. Um, what else I gonna say? Yeah, uh, don't remember now. So, yeah. Jeff, yeah, you have something to say. That's oh, I was just gonna say, you know, that where Jesus says, uh, "Stop clinging to me." That that doesn't infer to me that there's a hug going on. I mean, I that infers. Now, I understand that is to say, I'm there's a transition taking place. I'm going away. She has tremendous love for him. And if you take a look from the beginning, where she was pursuing the dead body and, and, and all that, she has been passionate about getting there. And so, uh, finding him. And she, I think she realized that this is kind of slipping through her hands. And Jesus says, stop, stop clinging. I've got to go away. So I don't infer a hug. I see a lot of love there. But... Well, except that. The word used in the Greek specifically says cling to. Uh, well, you know, it, it says it, more than a mere contact or touch, but an engagement, a handling, a use in which some kind of influence or effect is created between the two people. So, you know, it, you, you, I guess you can look at other ways that that could happen, but for me, the most likely way that that happens is with a hug. Well, okay. <laughs> okay, well, whatever you want to think of, I just don't know how it would be more logically done than with a hug, and he, it happens so quickly, and he basically kind of says to her, you know, no, don't touch me yet, you know. Um, and uh, and so that's that's what they did, so... Okay, so let's go on then. Uh, we only have a, just a couple. Yeah, uh huh. 
Okay. Why, why was it necessary for Jesus to say, don't touch me because I because I have not yet told him there is somebody's upset because of our difference. Right. Something is going on between him and the father right. that is important. There there is I think in the Psalms, I have to look it up. I don't remember off the top of my head. There is a passage in the Old Testament, I believe it's in Psalms, where it says that the Messiah will go to heaven and present himself as the sacrifice. And and that has and that that's going to happen. And so uh that's where it comes from. That's why it had to be done, because it was it was something in the Old Testament that said would happen. So uh, apparently here it has happened. But I'll be happy to look it up and bring it next week. Yeah, yeah I'll have to find, but I'll have to find a specific reference in Psalms where it is so we can look into that. That's a, that'll that'd be, good, be a good explanation. I mean, a good, a good look next week. But that's great. Well, we 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 spent a whole class we spent a whole class on that uh, back a, few, a couple months ago. So I can send you the recording if you want to hear that. So we went into all of that about where he went, what he did, so on and so forth. So uh, I know that's what we have we have that in a in another class. So maybe you may not have been here for that one. So I'll send it to you though when I have the recording at home. So. Okay, so uh, that's probably a good place to stop right there and then. So I'm sorry, Cheryl, we didn't get all the way through it. Um, we will try again, God willing, to get through it next week. But, you know, when you have good discussion and good points and good things to talk about, then uh, that's good because we all get to kind of uh, flesh it out and ask questions and, and give our own opinions, and uh, that's what this is for. So praise the Lord for that. Anyone, any, anyone have anything else to say before we go I, Yeah, John. I can throw, throw the piano out the window. No, it's okay. Uh, one of the theories that's around, and then I don't buy into it, and, but if you're listening to some of the stuff that's on television, is the theory that Mar Mary and uh, Jesus were married and had children. It's, and they're taking it as real. Well, that's such blasphemy. They're taking it as real. Such blasphemy. And, you know, when you take with the scripture there, you know, you could twist that so much. And I think that's where we have to be cautious when we're looking at something because the theory is there and they have it on for an hour and a half on television. It's, I mean, it's a group of people. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's, it's one of the channels that's, uh, they, they're the ones that do a lot of the uh, ancient aliens and that type of thing. And, and it's really a far-fetched, but people are buying into it. Well, you also have, just to go down that road for a minute, talking about blasphemous, turning scripture into blasphemous ideas, is uh, the idea that uh, David and Jonathan, such good friends in the Old Testament, like brothers, that they have some type of a homosexual relationship. But that's something that straight is straight from the pit of hell, just like this. But it is something that is drawing people into the wrong path. It's, it's a satanic from start to finish. But Terrible, isn't it? It's terrible. It's terrible what comes from Satan. It's just terrible. Well, they go back and do that about um, men and hips.
Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was forever, yeah. It's, this is the world that we live in, isn't it? Um, yes, Ruth. He was telling what was in his book and why he wrote it. And he's kind of like the, I mentioned that, and it came someday afternoon, and it is. And he has a real burden for the American church. Well, in that same program, and I, I let this take that I didn't delete it, I want to go back and just type out what exactly they said, because they had people that were in American churches today in their rows. This isn't the science channel, but I would see that. And I, I've never been able to finish one of those programs. I just, he won't even love me. He'll, he just, <laughs> it's not worth it. Uh, but anyway, um, and then I use that in my Bible study on First John, because that's a Gnostic, and they just do all that. These are church people. I know. And they were misquoting scripture. Of course. They take the first part of one verse and then chop it off. Like choose lights. Right. They have the first part. But then before, because they're abortion, then they would not say that last. They come right. from the Bible verse. Right. And when it was over, there were several participants in the group of men characters that. Was I guess they just sat there and they could barely say anything because it was just so awful. It's unbelievable. And that's why Eric has written a book. He did. People in the church. Yeah. Yeah. Something mentioned in this book of mine, if you can write it in the truck. But I'm going to have my bought it every day. And it's easy to read, very easy to read. It's not cloud over. It's 139 pages. Bell, I mean, he is right on target. Oh, nice. That book that uh, he wrote. Yeah. Let's. Okay. All right. Satan masquerades as an angel of light, you know, and he counterfeits. He's a counterfeiter. He's a liar. And he uh, he masquerades uh, as an angel of light, but he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. So. Yeah, yeah, I know the, the real thing. And then that's how you know the counterfeit. Amen. Amen. That concludes this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. I pray that you've learned something new about the Lord today, and He's given you some new insight into who He is and how much He loves you. Remember, the eternal God is our refuge, and underneath are 
the everlasting arms. May in that refuge today and those everlasting arms, you find the provision that you need, the protection that you need, the power that you need, and through those, the peace that you need. Remember, he said, my peace I give you. Peace be with you. Shalom.